0: Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. So last week I, I talked about Apollo 13 and with that statement, okay Houston, we've had a problem here. I think when I look at where our country is at, and I'm not just thinking about United States of America, but our country and, and where Christians are at and what we're having to deal with and how we respond or don't respond and how the world around us is responding and all this, that, okay, Lord, uh, we've had a problem here. <laughs> you agree? We've got a problem here, uh, and it's not a new problem by any stretch of imagination, but it is full force in our faces these days. And it has to do with um, the issue of truth. And, and this is, it's interwoven into uh, what's going on, how people perceive what truth is, if there is truth, and if it is, how can you even know it? And, and that is, affects everything else. So we are becoming an increasingly uncivil society and uh, Christians find themselves getting caught up in, in wrong responses and attitudes. Uh, I mean, I enjoy um, going on YouTube and listening to what people are thinking and their positions and explaining or even sometimes having a debate. I enjoy that kind of stuff. But increasingly, the headlines that go with those videos is so and so destroys this person, or or they nuke this person, or they, uh, you know, shame. I mean, it's just, it's all about something we'll see here before we're done today, and it already goes back to kind of how we view truth. You know, and so we said, how did we come to where we are today in our country? And so this week I posted on Facebook this quote, uh, and it says, in summary, this is a guy who did a study on education in the elementary ages and he said this in summary many schools teach students that all claims are either facts or opinions and that all value and moral claims fall into the latter camp the punchline there are no moral facts that's what's being taught and if there are no moral facts then there are no moral truths it's all just your opinion it's all just how you feel about it. And if there are no moral truths, then if you want to get into a conversation about whether something is right or wrong, how do you have that conversation? Okay, Uh, and so uh, elaborating on this idea, a pastor from, also from Missouri, and that was just a coincidence, he says this, if we fail to acknowledge the existence of real, in other words, binding moral truth, We deprive ourselves of the only sound foundation we have for many things that are crucial for a safe and thriving society. For example, why should we treat one another with respect or be honest in our personal and business dealings if these values are merely opinions, who ultimately cares? Now, that just might sound like, you know, academic research and talking about things. But the reality is, is this has had a huge ripple effect out into our nation. And, and once again, I'm not worried about trying to reform our nation. But I am concerned about us as Christians that we don't get caught up in things that are not true or that we become fearful and back away because of what's going on. We need to be engaging with the people around us. They need Jesus. So we have to be able to have relationships and discussions. And so how do we do that? Well, today we want to talk about something that is absolute. There is absolute truth. The absolute truth. That's the title of today's sermon. Uh, The truth is absolute. Always? Well, let's look and see. Now, as is always the case, you know, this... I'm trying to think, you know, back when in, the, in the 1960s when there was a lot of social unrest and turmoil, there was no YouTube, there was no Facebook. there. And so maybe it was just as bad then as it is now, I don't know. Okay, But for, probably for most of you, you're younger than that and you don't even remember that. So this seems like new to us, doesn't it? The way the world is around us, this is new to us, we think but it's not new in history, and it's not new to God's people. So let's go to the book of Isaiah, written about 700 years before the time of Jesus. So that makes it about 2,700 years ago for us. If something happened 2,700 years ago, I guess it's not new, is it? (laughs) New to us, And, and in Isaiah here in chapter 59, And if you don't have a Bible with you, we encourage you to, to, there should be one in one of the chairs there in front of you. Pick that up and follow along. We'll give you the page numbers, page 854. Page 854. So in this passage, uh, God, through Isaiah, is speaking to his people and talking to them about their nation and what was going on. And in the nation of Israel, just like in any nation, there were people... Uh, who were very committed to the Lord, and surrendered him, wanted to do his right. And then there were a bunch of people who weren't. And then there were a bunch of people who maybe just weren't giving them much thought and are kind of caught up in the middle. And, um, but as a result, their nation was not doing well. So let's see what God has to say about it. And what Isaiah uh, says as the Lord speaks through him. Chapter 59, verse one, it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save. Nor is ear heavy that it cannot hear. And by the way, just let me, I'm, I'm going to stop and I need to put a, a little, this is not part of the sermon at all. This is a technical note. I kept thinking maybe somebody figure it figured out. Guys, the breaker is off on that line of lights, which is going to make it dark up here. So if somebody knows how to go turn on the breaker out there, that would be helpful. Okay, back to the sermon. Here we go. Verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue has muttered perversity. No one calls for justice. And that doesn't mean no one isn't saying those words, but no one's calling for real justice nor does any plead for truth. Instead, what do they do? They trust in empty words and speak lies. They conceive evil and bring forth iniquity. Move down to verse number eight. The way of peace they have not known, and there is no justice in their ways. They have made themselves crooked paths, and whoever takes that way shall not know peace. Therefore, justice is far from us, nor does righteousness overtake us. We look for light, but there's darkness. For brightness, but we walk in blackness. And you think in our nation today, right, this issues of justice and righteousness, right? The, the calls for justice, we feel like we aren't experiencing justice. And I'm absolutely convinced that that is true. There are many places in which justice is not there, what it ought to be. Righteousness is not there, and what it ought to be. And it's it's because of this idea of truth. Nobody pleads for the truth, for truth. Doesn't mean nobody pleads for an opinion or a position, but nobody pleads for truth. And I want to plead for truth today. And as a result, we, you know, it's darkness and struggles and difficulties. Let's move down to verse number 12. He's talking to God now, Isaiah, and he says, For our transgressions are multiplied before you as a nation. This doesn't mean that all of these sins are Isaiah's. He's speaking for us as a people. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us. And as for our iniquities, we know them. In transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing from our God, speaking oppression and revolt conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood, words that are not true. And so these next two verses tell us this, where their society had come to, and I think it's, it's really quite descriptive of where our society has come to. Justice is turned back, and righteousness stands afar off, for truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter, so truth fails. And he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. So let's just talk. Justice is turned back. The very thing that we are looking for. Justice, who, you know, who could, co- could come our way is, is what? It's turned back. It's, it's moving away from us, not toward us. And then he says, "In righteousness stands afar off, okay? Look, here's the society. Here's going on. Righteousness is out here somewhere. It's not... This is not what's prevalent here, righteousness. And then he says, why is that? For truth is fallen in the street. It's fallen, and in the sense, when you say the truth is fallen in the street, what it means is truth ought to be what's held up, right? We ought to be holding up truth, and we ought to be able to look at it, and all of us looking at it together, and and trying to figure out how do we live by this truth. Instead, nobody, and I shouldn't say nobody, but right, it's not being held up in the public square, and so it's fallen. In the streets, Equity cannot enter. Equity means fairness and impartial application of truth. We can't do that because we don't have the truth. We can't make good and fair because we don't have the truth to make those judgments from. I mean, we do have it. You understand what I mean, right? What's prevailing. And then so truth fails. In other words, it's not able to do what it's supposed to do because it's not held up. And then he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. And I think this idea of departing from evil is this idea of saying, wait a minute, no, there is truth. Let me hold up the truth here. Well, that's not always well received today. There's a reason for that. But so you become the, the one who gets attacked if you want to stand up and say, wait a minute, here's what's true. You become Prey. This is a pretty dark situation, isn't it? Uh, But there's somewhat of a reality, I think, when we see here, and and this is my statement, my opinion. uh, The Bible doesn't say this, but I think it's almost like truth has become the new hate speech. (laughs) Right? If you want to speak the truth about something, you're being hateful. You're a hater. All right? And there's a man who is not known to be religious. You know, not really much into God at all. Uh, but he wrote a bunch of different things, but he, he said this. His name George Orwell. You may recognize the name. He said that during times of universal deceit, telling the truth becomes a revolutionary act. And so sometimes the idea of trying to inject truth into a conversation seems like you're revolting. Right? You're throwing off what everybody wants and how everybody wants to deal with things. Well, let's continue with the thinking on this truth. We need to understand truth to deal with this. Let's go to John chapter 18. John chapter 18 and it's page 1247 in the Bible that's under the chairs there. This is the story of, of you know, Jesus has come into the, uh, Jerusalem, he's been taken captive, They've taken, they're going to eventually crucify him, he'll rise from the dead, all part of the wonderful gospel because Jesus died for our sins, rose again, and we can receive him as savior and have forgiveness of all of our sins and eternal life in him. But so here's in the process, he's been brought to Pilate, the Roman governor, and he's being interrogated there. And uh, the Jewish religious leaders at that time want to have him uh, put to death. And so let's go down to verse number 37. We're going to look at a couple of verses. It comes to this point, verse 37. Pilate therefore said to him, to Jesus, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Okay, that's a very powerful statement. But I want you to see something here. For this cause I was born. I came into the world for this reason, that I should bear witness to the truth. Now, I think if I had asked you, if I'd given you a piece of paper and I said, you know, write down, why did Jesus come into the world? Why did the Son of God come into the world? You just written down, you know, he came to you know, live a perfect and sinless life, right? To be an example for us also then to die for us and take our sins and rise again that we might have a new life, eternal life in him. That's why he came. And that is why he came. But why else did he come? This is an interesting. I think That he says, for this cause I was born, for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Man, maybe this is more important than we realize, isn't it? This is one of the very reasons that Jesus came, and the gospel is part of that truth. In fact, Jesus said, I am the truth. I'm the standard. You want to judge truth, judge it by me. I came in the world to bear witness of the truth. And then in verse 38... Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him. But he says, what is truth? Pilate's response mirrors, I think, the views in our modern culture. I think, you know, Pilate wasn't just saying something practical at the moment. It's Pilate most likely had been exposed as a a, a Roman governor. I'm sure he was educated. He knew philosophy. And so the idea is, well, what is truth? And the idea is, well, how can you know what's truth? You might think truth is one thing. I might. So how can we even know it? Now, let me say to you that there, um, this, This approach, you know, when when a truth claim is made and someone says, well, what is truth? How can you know it? What's really going on there? Now, obviously, somebody could really, you know, not understand, and it could be a very intellectual question. It could be. But I tell you why, in general, that people are quick to adopt that, and that's because if we can't be sure what truth is, you cannot hold me to it. I cannot hold you to it, right? Anything goes then, doesn't it? Because if there is truth, guess what? I'm subject to it. You're subject to it, okay? And so it's, it's very natural in society to, to, for society to creep toward this understanding of truth. It, it reminds me of the book of Judges when it says that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And things didn't go well in the book of Judges. Okay? A lot of big messes in the book of Judges. And so what we have here with Pilate and that philosophy, and that philosophy is still around today, what is truth? What we have come up with is this uh, rejection of what we would call absolute truth. A rejection of the objective nature of truth. And I want to talk about what that means. And, and where it pops up in, in popular society, and there's the kind of people we would typically run into if you aren't having a debate in an academic institution. Well, that may be what? True for you, but not for me. And this is a way of saying what? Well, it's okay if you want to be, but I don't have to. I'm not bound by that, all right? And what we're gonna see is that that, <laughs> the fact of saying is true for you but not for me is not a true statement. So what we need to do, I'm gonna to just to st- do, take a little time here and do some teaching, okay, let's think about this. Uh, is truth objective or is it subjective? So let's, let's talk about what objective and subjective typically mean. So let's just try to think of it this way. When we, uh, the, the, the core word of objective is object, isn't it? And so if something is object, but we're talking about objective, it's like we're talking about an object, something outside of ourselves. An object, and that object could be a thing. That object could be an idea. Doesn't matter, but it's it's outside of us. Okay, subject. If you think about subject, could be a person, right? I'm the subject, and if we're talking about things that are subjective, then we're talking about things that are within me, that are what I think and how I feel. All right, now. this is a, a, really a huge difference and we need to understand it. So if something is objectively true, what are we saying? In other words, it's something that is outside of us, a thing or an idea, that it's true in and of itself and it doesn't matter whether I know it's true or not. It is true. Does it, that make sense? Okay, and we're going to look at an example in a minute. It's, it's objectively true because it it's doesn't matter whether I believe it, like it, For it, against it, doesn't matter. It's objectively true. If if we're talking about subjective, oh, it's about how I feel about it. It's about what I think. It's about what I want, what I like, what I don't like. You see the difference? That's when we're talking about being subjective. All right, so what we want to talk about is is how does truth line up with those ideas? Objective versus subjective. So let's look at uh, examples. Let's talk about cats for a little bit. Okay, cats exist. Objective truth. Objective truth, right? Cats exist. Now, you may not like that, some of you, but it's an objective truth. Cats exist. And many people love cats. Is that objectively true? Yeah, I mean, you say, well, how many is many? Well, get over it. Many people love cats. That's objective truth. Doesn't matter whether I agree with that or not, does it? It is true. All right. Now, just as true, is that cats exist, but some people don't love cats, okay? Both objectively true, right? Cats exist, we've already settled that. Some people don't love cats, true? Does it matter whether I agree with it or not or I like it or not? Nope, it's objectively true, it's out here, it's outside of me, outside of you. Now, I have feelings, but doesn't change these truths. Now, here's where we find ourselves today. Okay, let's put these two together. You love cats, but I don't. Therefore, it's, go ahead and go to that slide if you would, Anthony. Therefore, it's true for you. Oh, no, I'm sorry. You're right, place. Good job, Anthony. You love cats, but I don't. Loving cats is true for you, but not for me. Do you agree with that statement then? Now, The problem is it's very easy for us to get caught up without thinking closely about that and say, yes, that's right. Loving cats is true for you, but not for me. But I wanna say that is not true, that is not accurate. Let's, let's, Let's go to the next slide, here's what's really going on. You love cats, I don't love cats, and these things are true for me, for you, and for everyone. Now let me explain what I mean. If I say, you love cats, and let's assume, how many of you would say, you love cats? Okay, so for all of you who held up your hands, this is a true statement, isn't it? It is objectively true, what if I don't like it? Is it true? It's still true, you love cats. Is it true for you? Is it true for me? Yes, it's true for me that you love cats. You see that, how that works? Subjective truth. And the other way around, if I say I don't love cats, I can say that is true. So that is objectively true. It's true for me. Is it also true for you? Yes, it is. It is true for you that I love cats. You see, so this is the nature of truth. Truth is objective. In fact, truth, I think, by definition cannot be subjective. It cannot be. If, if, if that's the case, we aren't talking about truth. It's a different animal at that point. So what's really true is not determined by my desires, my feelings, even my opinions. I mean, if I wanted to say that this is an elephant, it's the elephant in the room. Now if I really think it's an elephant, that'll be an elephant in the room. But uh, that was supposed to be funny. Um, if I'm telling you this is an elephant, well, what makes it an elephant? I want it to be. I feel like it's an elephant. Now, that's an absurd statement, right? And we all know what? Well, it's losing it because that ain't an elephant. All right, so we get that. So, but the same thing applies to anything else. And so you can listen. If you ever want to listen, watch, the, listen to two people talking about something, disagreeing about something, I'm talking about, and it wouldn't be surprising if all of a sudden you find out that the reason, well, I don't like that, so I don't believe it. I don't want that to be true, so I, I don't accept that it's true. <sighs> Try that walking across the freeway. I don't believe it. Those cars are going to hit me, right? I mean, you see what I'm saying. Truth, the nature of truth, is absolute. Okay, it is absolute. Booker T. Washington years ago said this. He says, a lie doesn't become truth, wrong doesn't become right, and evil doesn't become good just because it's accepted by the majority either, right? So majority opinion does not get to decide what's really true. True is true is true is true is true. Okay. Now, So we can settle this, that that absolute objective truth exists and can be known. This is very, very important for us. We can't deal with anything, all right? Now, for years I've I've kind of had this title this book that I, I think maybe I'll write. Whether I ever do or not, I don't know. But it's called The Arrogance of Truth. And here's what can happen to us if we aren't careful. Truth is a really big stick. And if we aren't careful because we think we have the truth, and, and we do have truth, but you can use that as a big club to hit people with. All right? How you deal with it. And we can begin as Christians because we believe in truth and we believe we, there are lots of things that we actually do know that are true, if we aren't careful, we can come across very prideful about that. And, and let me say, the tendency is this, here's the truth. Okay, I know this truth, and then we start to go thinking, okay, everything that I think then, all of my opinions are true. <laughs> and that's where that, we can become, at least even if we don't mean to, start to come across as arrogant, because we know the truth, right? Uh, so here's some things for us to remember. We, we don't want to back off one bit on the fact that there's absolute objective truth and that it can be known and we can talk about it. But we need to remember, none of us knows all of it. Some humility is required, isn't it? And that's a good thing because God gives grace to whom? The humble. So we don't know all of it. That's good. That's good thing, and a good thing for us to recognize. Secondly, we can be wrong about it. I might conclude that something's true that isn't true. Is that possible? Maybe it's not possible for all you guys, but it's definitely possible for me, that's right. And so again, we have this idea of humility. Okay, And, and so as we deal with things and talk about things, as Christians, it's so important that we come across as humble and that we don't use truth as a big stick to hit people with. Let let me give you an example of something that I ran across actually just uh, yesterday. I'm following a conversation. uh, Let me see here, what am I looking for? Following a conversation, because I I enjoy discussions of a political nature, especially when we're talking about philosophy behind uh, these issues. And I saw a post was going on a discussion and the tendency of those kinds of discussions can be to get, they start to become a little personal, right? And, and people start to, it, it amps up and all this kind of stuff and they begin to make judgments of each other that seem harsh. And I, This is a, a conversation of mostly Christians but some non-Christians, okay? So I'm watching this and what I saw was one of the persons, um, interjected and said, hey, I I want to give an uninvited suggestion. And it it talked about how we need to, um, we need to care about the people we're talking to and that we need to believe the best about them. And we need to genuinely seek to understand what they're saying and what they mean rather than nuking them, okay? And so the idea of, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt that they are well-intentioned. Try to understand what they're saying. And you may not agree with it, but work hard. In other words, you can value that person, right? And what was interesting is the, a, a person who responded, who was kind of the focus of that comment, immediately went back and started defending their position and arguing. But then about halfway through, let me show you what they said. They said, your uninvited suggestions get me thinking. Part of me wants you to stop. (laughs) But then I think about how I really want other people to start thinking and considering and be willing to change their minds, and I know you are a good influence for me. But listen to this. But it is also because I have seen your love for people in the past. That is what gives you this open door. Right? That's what I'm trying to say as a Christians. We, we have truth. We have access to truth. We know a lot of truth. Does it all of a sudden make sense why the Apostle Paul says, speaking the truth in love? Right? Okay. And so, um, we, absolute objective truth exists. It can be known. None of us knows it all. We can be wrong about it. But what it does is it provides a way for us to address disagreements. Now, here's what I mean by that. If there's objective truth, remember it's out here, it's outside of me, it's outside of you. We can stand here side by side together and look at this and talk about it and try to understand it and figure out together what it means and we might end up disagreeing but at least if it's subjective it's about me and it's about you and I'm smarter than you. You're stupider than me. Now those words don't directly get said but you see, ever see those attitudes? Anger and harshness. That's what happens if there's no objective truth. No objective. But if there's objective absolute truth, we can stand around and look at it and talk about it. And we have a disagreement about what needs to happen in this situation. Well, let's talk about the truth. How does this apply? So see, extremely important for us as individual Christians and how we interact with people, how we communicate that we value people that we disagree with. Also very important if we want to have a civil society. Because what happens if we do not have this objective truth that we can look at? What if we're saying, well, what is truth and true for you and not for me? What, what do we end up with? How do we make decisions? Well, what we do is we go with the old concept, might makes right. If, if, if you know, I don't, we don't have any basis to make the decision for, it's going to come down to who has the most power if they will make the decisions. Okay? And that could be political power. That could be the power of a threat. It could be the power of volume. I'm louder than you. I will shout you down until you finally give up. Man, don't we see this in our society? Bigger questions. Do you ever see it in you? right, We need to make sure this isn't how we are proceeding in life. But this is a reality. And so this idea of absolute objective truth that we can look at together. And maybe we don't even agree on everything about what's true, but at least we agree that there is truth to know. We can talk about it. We can work together on that. But if it's subjective, if that doesn't exist, all it is, it's you and me. And how do we decide? Well, I'm going to get the upper hand. Or you're going to get, you see what I'm saying? And that's just, that's so much of what we see. All right, so understand this. Christianity's foundation is objective noble truth. This is such very, very good news for us. I mean, it seems like we have this problem in our country. But the, the news isn't all bad. There is good news. And, and this part is that Christianity's foundation is, is objective, noble truth that Jesus rose from the dead. That's where it starts for us, doesn't it? Jesus said, They said, How do we know that what you're saying is true? He says, Well, I'm going to rise from the dead. I'm paraphrasing. But that's what he said. I'm going to rise from the dead. Well, nobody else ever did that on their own. Okay, that's a pretty good sign. Well, let's wait and see. And Jesus, what? Rose from the dead. We can go back using all the basic tools of the historians use to determine whether or not something actually happened, examining the records of it, uh, the credibility, all those kinds of things. And when we do that, we find that the resurrection of Jesus is the most Attested to event in ancient history. There's no doubt intellectually that Jesus rose from the dead. He did. Now, doesn't that kind of change everything? The guy who said, in essence, I am God, I'm with, and I'm gonna die. Here's, I'm human too, I'm gonna die, and I am going to rise from the dead, and he does it. Maybe we ought to listen to the other things he says. And he's the one who who talked about the Old Testament says that God gave that. The Holy Spirit gave us the Old Testament Scriptures. And the Holy Spirit's going to remind you, apostles, and, and enable you to remember and write the things that have happened here. I think we can believe that. And then we have the Scriptures. And so the point is, when we get Jesus risen from the dead, we end up with everything else in Christianity. All right. But it's such a good thing, isn't it, that God did not... Have our beliefs focused on someone's opinion. (laughs) Well, I think this about the universe. It isn't that. It's no, no, go see. Did Jesus rise? That's why Paul said, if Jesus didn't rise, game's over. Go do what you want. But he did rise. Objective, absolute, knowable truth. Jesus rose from the dead. And right, so the second thing I want you to understand is this, is that the condition of our hearts affects our ability to understand the truth. The Bible repeatedly connects the heart with truth. Now, in one sense, we would say truth is objective. Well, it had not done anything to do with my heart. And that is true. It's objective, it doesn't have anything to do with my heart. But my ability to see that truth, to understand that truth, to be able to apply that truth, the condition of my heart makes all the difference in the world. In the Old Testament, uh, when the psalmist is talking about who, who gets to, and I'm paraphrasing, but I, I, this is kind of what it means to me, who gets to hang out with God? And, and he says several things, and he kind of comes to what to me is a summary statement. He of he who speaks the truth in his Heart. Well, I thought we would speak the truth in our minds, wouldn't we? That's truth, Intellectual, mental. But God tells us, no, there's a whole dynamic with truth that's about the heart. The heart affects our ability to understand it, to see it, and to accept it and respond to it. But let's go to the book of Romans, chapter 1, page twelve hundred and ninety-four. Okay, the Apostle Paul here is, is, is talking about the truth and, and what can be known about God. Verse 18. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Unrighteousness being that wrong condition of the heart, and then they suppress the truth. They hold back the truth. Continue. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. God has made us as human beings in a way that we can conclude that there's a God. It's by the very way that he's made us. And that's a whole other teaching time. Okay. Let's accept it for the moment. Verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. God has given enough evidence to everybody to know that there is a God. And what have they done? They have suppressed it. Why have they suppressed it? Why have they pushed back? Verse 21. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. See, this is flowing out of a heart, a foolish heart. The fool says in his heart what? There is no God. That's what it says in Psalms. Um, and so, it's the heart issue. And now, because this is the case, because their heart, they said, no, we don't want the truth. So, it can't be true, we don't want it to be true. Can't. That's a subjective approach to truth, isn't it? It's about how I feel about it that matters, so okay, it doesn't exist. Now, does that affect a person's ability to understand the truth? Yeah, let's read the next verse, 22. Professing to be wise, they became fools. See, it affects, the heart affects a person's ability to understand and, and respond to the truth. Now, when the scripture reveals to us what's coming in the future and how there will be people who have rejected Christ who when, when Jesus leaves the world and, uh, excuse me, when we leave the world with Jesus, that's what I meant to say, right? And what's called the rapture before the great tribulation period, Uh, There are going to be people who knew the truth before that happens and who after that happens will not only not continue, not they may have known it, but they're just going to push back on it and they aren't going to accept it more than ever. So what's going on? Well, in Second Thessalonians, Paul talks about this, about them. He describes them with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. In other words, they did not reach that point that said, we want to know what's true. What, what's really true? By the way, you have a conversation with anybody who will honestly say to you, yes, I want to know what's really true. Because I, I want to accept that and live by whatever is true. Man, you can have a wonderful conversation with that person. But the person who says, no, no, no way, I won't accept that. I don't care what you say. No. No love of the truth. Sadly, those people end up never coming to grips with the truth. They did not receive a love of the truth. They could have received, they could have taken that. And so they will not be saved. So the conditions of our hearts really matter, don't they? Now, once again, and you're having a conversation with somebody about truth, and I'm not, I'm, not talking about, I'm not talking necessarily a conversation about politics. That has its place. I'm talking about conversations about whether or not there really is a God and whether or not you can know him and what do we do with our sins and how do we have eternal life and have those kinds of conversations. And if someone is open to the truth, but maybe their heart is, I mean, we're all born with a heart that wants to do our own thing, right? That's why we want to say, well, it might be true for you, not for me, because I don't know if I want to deal with that. We all have that. But remember last week we talked about, when we talked about the Gospel, Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God, which is true. For the Word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And so when you use the truth of the Word, it goes into their heart, see? And it can begin to change the heart and open the heart. And I I, I mentioned, I think last week, I mentioned it again. I am just amazed over the years, whenever I've had the actual opportunity, either in this setting, you know, or a funeral setting or whatever it is to be able to just explain, here's what God says about your relationship with him, where you're at, what you need, how you can be saved if you'll receive Jesus as Savior. Explain that, that people who came in here with no sense of being open go, okay. Because God gets to the heart and then they're open to the truth. Same thing in one-on-one conversations, I've seen it. People start off, resist, 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 and you say, hey, listen, just for the sake of argument, can let me explain to you what I'm talking about? And you go through it. And I have, not always, but I've seen people's hearts change before my eyes, and now all of a sudden they're open to the truth. What a blessing that is, isn't it? All right, so second thing, the condition of our hearts affects our ability to understand the truth. We need to keep our hearts tender before God. Third, we need to learn and live by the truth. You gotta learn the truth if you wanna live by it. Okay? Uh, Psalm 25 says, Lead me in your truth and teach me. That ought to be our attitude and prayer to the Lord. Lord, you know, lead me in your truth. Teach me your truth. I want to know it. I want to live by it. Then Jesus, when he prayed for all believers who were to come, including you and me, to his Father, one of the things he said, prayed the Father, was this in John 17 Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. What do we got to do if we want to know truth? By the way, is, is all truth in the Bible? Trick question. That's one of Walt's trick questions. No, all truth isn't in the Bible. All the truth you need to know to live a life that pleases God and be a blessing to you is in the Bible. But I tell you what, there are truths about your car. Like you need oil in it. Not antifreeze in the oil. It doesn't go in there, right, Stephen? I mean, it can't, but you don't want to do that. So... Um, that's not in the Bible. Okay, so there's lots of truth that isn't in the Bible. But all the truth that you need to know to approach life and live a life that pleases God and provides you with what you need. See, so it also teaches you how to deal with all other truth. Okay, so we've got to be in the Word. That comes through your own personal time in the Word. Folks, this has to be a lifelong pursuit. Daily, close to daily, on some sort of regular basis, you open the Bible and you read it and you try to understand it. And you won't always understand it, but God is still at work in you. Okay? Helping you to become more understanding of the truth. And the preaching and teaching. Uh, You've got to have good, genuine Christian fellowship with other believers where you're talking about the Christian life and how we live it. It's going to help you to understand and know truth. And you, what other study might I going to do? Watch good videos, read books. But the idea is you need to work at it. You need to learn the truth so you can live by the truth. Finally, number four. Learning and living by the truth brings freedom into our lives. Man. If it's all subjective, where's the freedom? We're all hung up. We all have no way of, but if there's truth, it can be known. And this is where Jesus, talking to his disciples, he says, if you abide in my word, and that was what I told you, my word is truth, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And what's going to happen? And you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Free, free in what way? Free in all sorts of ways. Because here's the thing. If, if I am watching an issue, let's say it's a moral issue in society, and then I'm watching discussions about it and debate about it and all kinds of things going on and I'm hearing crazy things and I'm seeing maybe even Christians doing things wrong. I get all enough people, but you know what? Wait a minute, the truth is not at risk. The truth is not at risk, never is. Anything that's really true will never contradict God. Anything that's really true will never contradict Christianity. Anything that's really true certainly will not contradict the Lord Jesus Christ. I am the truth. And so, wow, I don't have to, I can kind of chill about this. I might want to engage, and I might, but the point is, the truth is not at risk. But boy, if it's about me having to make something happen and be true. Don't want to go there. So, my question for for you today is what's really true about you? You know what's really true about you today? You know, are you in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ where he has, you know, forgiven every sin and you have eternal life and you're walking with him through life, learning, growing, making mistakes, getting forgiven and growing and doing better. And is that your life or are you still outside that because you don't haven't resettled a relationship with God by receiving Jesus as Savior? You know, you need to do that. We'd love to help you with that. Be the best decision you ever made and would open up truth to you in a new way that you've never experienced before. Maybe you're a Christian and you kind of got caught up in this, well, true for you, not for me. You need to let it go. No, it's true, it's true for me, and I need to I need to submit myself to it, whatever it is. Um, truth is very practical for us as human beings. So let me leave with these two quick challenges. One is to love God and live for Him. Let's settle that, right? I'm going to love God and live for him. And one of the things I have to do if I'm going to do that is this. Love truth and live by it. Be a lover of truth. And live by the truth that you know. And if you've got questions about that, please talk to me. I'd love to have that conversation with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that there's truth that we can know and, and count on truth that we can build our lives on. I pray Father, you to remind us this. help us not to get caught up in the spirit of the age that that truth is subjective when it's not. Help us to be able to see clearly, Lord, around us what's going on, what's, what's really about truth and what isn't. Help us to see where people are at, Lord, and break our hearts for those who are caught up in, in a subjective view of, of truth, Lord. They're so trapped. Help us to love and care and help us to speak the truth in love. And I pray you'd use us, Father, to reach people with the gospel and be a great and powerful testimony for you. And We might be someone like that person wrote, Lord, that because people have seen us love, that they open the doors to hear the truth. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, everyone. Go and have a great week. Those of you out there, we'd love to see you in Lord's Supper next Sunday morning.